Purple elephant shower thought of the day. Graveyards are probably the least likely place to be haunted. Because realistically, none of the people buried there actually died there. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. Uh, today's guest is very special, very cool, because I don't really know her that well. And I think it's cool that I'm kind of reaching out, um, growing my online presence a little bit and meeting new people, artists and creators. She is a 22-year-old illustrator and soft sculptor, which we'll get into what that is, from Maryland. She was going to the, I might have to double check this, the Art Institute of Chicago. Yes. Um, she has a lifestyle blog and recently created a comic book, or maybe kind of recently, called Sugarloaf, with an exclamation point. Um, and I'm talking about no one other than Jada Bennett. Welcome. Hi, thank you. This is so, so cool. I'm excited. Yeah, so I'll be honest, before I, I reached out to you, I had no idea you were like a student. I mean, just your presence on Instagram and, um, you know, your website, the way you've set it up, I, I would completely believe that you've been doing this for 10 years. Um, and so I just kind of want to know right off the bat, when it comes to like setting all this stuff up, was this something that you learned from someone else, uh, in terms of like setting up your presence online? Yeah, that's such a good question. I, I feel like I, I don't know. I was always pretty into like organizing my stuff around. Uh, and I, I got to school and I just, I, I've been making so many things for so long. I just wanted to put them in a place. And I think we, we started by having like free software to like use. And I think I was using like Adobe portfolio for a while. Um, but then I, my boyfriend actually was telling me about uh, Squarespace and I was using Squarespace. So I was like, Oh, this is so much fun. It was just like, a big puzzle piece, but all the pieces were like my cool stuff. So I just started building it and I just really like maintaining like websites. So I guess that speaks for the website, but I mean, it's just, it's a long time collection of just trying to put all my stuff together in a yeah. way that I liked. Yeah. This is not an ad for Squarespace, but I also <laughs> use Squarespace and, and it, it's cool. It's great. And I think it's great for you know, someone who doesn't like myself doesn't know really how to do any web development stuff. Just like, yeah, I just wanted to look good. Um, and it like that kind of those websites make it easy. Um, okay. So now let's get in a little bit to your story. So I kind of want to hear a little bit about, and could you briefly describe kind of your art style for the people who probably won't see your Instagram before this, just so we, people have an idea of what kind of your style is. Totally. Um, I would, a lot of people describe it outright as just cartoony. Um, I've gotten lots of comparisons to like Adventure Time and like Cartoon Network things. Um, but yeah, it's very bubbly, thick lines, very flat. Uh, and it's mostly digital, but I do paint sometimes, but yeah, comic-y, cartoony. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, I grew up on those comic or those cartoons. And so I think, seeing your style really stuck out to me. 
Um, so what, what was kind of the origins of finding your, your style and wanting to become an artist? So if we kind of go into your childhood a little bit, what was that like? Lots of cartoon absorption. Uh, I spent most of my time, I mean, I was a, I, I'm an equal opportunity cartoon consumer, but I definitely lean towards Cartoon Network. Uh, so I was watching lots of like Courage, the Cowardly Dog and Powerpuff Girls, especially. And I think I just was, it's all I did. My dad's an artist. Um, so I was always encouraged to, you know, with sketch pads and stuff. So I was just drawing all the time. And I think that's what I was looking at all the time. So that's what came out. Um, yeah. And so once I, actually, I went to art school to do graphic design because I had been like, you know, I'd been told for so long that like, there's no money to be made in cartoons, like don't do it. Um, so I was like, okay, okay. So I'll do graphic design, but it totally like, it just got booted and I just started drawing more and more characters. And the more I drew, the more the style sort of came out and I would change eyes here and there if I felt like it made more sense to look like, you know, this thing. And then I'd move, around different body parts and just like see what would work. And then I just keep drawing those things over and over again. So it was very long format. I'm sure if I looked at things from two years ago, it would look different. Work from the start of my school year looked different than it does now. So, mm. so even though you kind of at one point wanted to do graphic design, you would always kind of had this goal or, or desire to be an artist, whether that takes the form of, you know, graphic design or more, you know, professional marketing versus kind of the classic artist cartoonist. So that was always on your mind, like growing up, was there ever a, a point in your you know, childhood or high school or even in college where you kind of decided you are an artist and kind of took that identity for yourself? Yeah, I think uh, probably most notably my freshman year is starting art school, like in college, because people have been calling me an artist throughout high school, but I was just doing, you know, I was doodling and which is, there's nothing wrong with doodling, but I was just, you know, just doodling things for my family and friends. And then when I got to school, people were doing this stuff professionally. And I was like, Hey, like, this is, this is a real thing. Like I, I'd always thought of my, myself as an artist, but like now these people think of me as an artist too, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I wonder um, like when you say, you saw people doing it professionally. And I think I saw this in one of your, your blogs, which I kind of want to touch on uh, in a little bit more depth in a little bit, but I feel like I saw somewhere where you were talking about the myth of the starving artist. And I kind of wanted to hear your mindset about that, that like term that people just kind of toss around. What is your thinking behind it? I think it's such a cheap shot. I think it, really it, it would turn so many people away from pursuing art if like if people only knew how many different ways you can involve yourself in many many different industries it wouldn't be that way I think it's a huge huge lie um I think you know even even that I came into art school thinking I need to do something lucrative like the only thing lucrative I can do is do graphic design um and immediately that was all shattered you know I got there and I was seeing people that just played with play-doh and clay all day and had these amazing businesses and their only skill set wasn't just playing with clay you know they're they're business folks like they're pushing numbers and doing marketing all by themselves and managing teams you know like it, it's it's a lot of different work and there's so many soft skills and hard skills that you gain doing 
so many different kinds of like creative aspects. And I think it's everything we we consume is art. And it's so odd that people really believe that like there's no there's nothing to be done because there's so much to be done. Just in any you look any direction, there's there's like 50 people involved in making that thing that you're like staring off into space with. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to play like devil's advocate for a second, I think when people say the starving artist, I think maybe their mind goes straight to kind of the the oil painter who's trying to get their work in a gallery. And they don't often think of, you know, how many mediums there are. And I think you are an excellent example of doing all these different types of art in different mediums, in different styles. And so I want to kind of hear, was there ever a point and maybe like art school kind of shattered this idea where you're like, I kind of need to pigeonhole myself. I need to find my, my niche. Do, is that like something that you think about even now? Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. Like there's, you know, there's the whole, what is it? Master of none, like yeah. sort of thing that happens. And I think, I think there's a couple ways you can go about it. I, I feel like I find myself coming up to this crossroad like many, many times where I'm like, okay, am I pigeonholing myself in what I make? And so I've tried that. I've tried just focusing on like, you know, I'm only going to draw digitally and they're only going to be, you know, these drawings for, you know, birthdays. I'm only going to do birthday commissions, headshots, and that's what's going to be. And then I'm like, this makes me unhappy. I want to try stuff and I don't want to stop myself from trying stuff. So I think there's another way to pigeonhole yourself. It's not just medium, but like, you know, content and topic. And I think a lot of artists whose names I can't even remember at this point, like that do that sort of thing where they're making whatever they want to make, they all carry the same like energy or like they carry the same purpose. And I feel like I've been pigeonholing myself in my purpose and like what the content is about, whether that's books or soft sculpture or, you know, digital drawings or physical drawings, like I'm focused on what it is I'm trying to do with those things. But you can also pigeonhole in making things just one yeah. way. Yeah, I like how you differentiate that of like, what you're doing versus what you're trying to say with it. So when it comes to what you're trying to say with your art, how would you say it today? If someone were to ask you, I want to make people ha like, I want to make people smile and I want to make people happy. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm really, there's so many topics and I, I want to like, I want to make the really heavy stuff not feel so heavy. I want to be able to, engage with some deep dark feelings and emotions and topics but still do it with a smile on my face because you know it's it's there's not a lot of access point and I I love a dramatic sad moody piece of art myself I really do I think I just every time I try to make it it never comes out that way there's always a penis on it or something or like you know like <laughs> or like it's fluorescent but I think I just I want to make people happy and I want people to em embrace playing around and like enjoying their life, even if it means having to think about hard stuff. I think that there's a lot of hyper positive content as well that is kind of hard and it makes it feel like there's no space to like go there. And I don't want that. I, I don't want this style to be synonymous with just like having to be happy all the time either. So yeah, I'm focused. I'm focused on that right now. I hope that, hope that covers it. Yeah. And I think cartoons are kind of similar in the way of like a, a comedian might say something that's like uncomfortable to face, but they turn it into a joke. And so people can laugh and then also think about it at the same time. I think 
cartoons have that lightheartedness, but you can still have the, the, the deeper issues. And I think a lot of, maybe not a lot, but cartoons I've seen at least more recently, as I feel like they've kind of gained a little bit more mainstream popularity, they sometimes do in, embrace those kind of darker themes. You know, I think of Adventure Time, like that's one that really stands out to me of just like, yeah, it's all fun and bubbly. And then they kind of have these, these darker themes and you're like, whoa, and that like, that's really something to think about. And I just wonder, I kind of want to hear your, your thoughts on cartoons being produced now. Um, have you seen, I mean, cause you kind of grew up on them. Have you seen a shift in cartoons? Like, do you have a favorite that's being produced today? Do you still watch them all the time? Yeah, I think uh, I actually I just binged I binged Adventure Time for the first time. I totally missed like it's it's big moment. I watched it in quarantine um, and I was like, dang, this is like this is good stuff. Like this is why I like to do what I do. And I realized they're telling stories and I, I feel like. I, I watch Gravity Falls a lot. Yeah, that was a good one. I feel like and those are for similar reasons. I like them because they touch on on just so many different things while still being happy and exciting. Um, but yeah, I guess all of the, I do, I watch a lot of cartoons often. I watch cartoons often uh, and I, I'm i pretty interested. I like uh, The Amazing World of Gumball. That's another good one I like, um, all for similar reasons. I think, I think cartoons are doing good right now. Yeah. What are your thoughts on like adult cartoons? I think I like, <laughs> you what, you're a fan? Yeah, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen uh, Rick and Morty all the way. I've seen some episodes, and I think it's a wonderful genre. Like, I think that is, I know Infinity Train is a really popular one right now. That's sort of semi-adult, uh, just stronger themes. But you know, an adult doesn't always have to mean vulgar. I think that's something too. I'm interested in seeing more of. It's like adult cartoons that don't have to be overly like, like raunchy. Um, yeah, I think it's a great, I think it's a great concept. I think it's, it embodies everything I think about all the time, which is like, I'm an adult. I watch cartoons. I feel better for it. And, you know, there's something there. And do you have any kind of desire or ambition to go more into the, the realm of like animating or do you always kind of like to keep it, you know, pictures and comic books? Um, did you have any desire to go into that? kind of field, I guess, industry? Yeah, I, um, so I worked on Sugarloaf in solitude as a mode of escape. And it was really great. And I started, you know, I put out, I put out one volume of it and I'm working on the second one. Um, and in that time, in my last class, I was able to do a, a really nice comics class with Beth Hetland. Uh, and that was fantastic. And I, I got an opportunity, which it's still brewing actually to pitch the show or to pitch the comic to Cartoon Network, which will be hopefully that that's coming up later this month. I haven't told many people. That's so cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm trying to keep the, the energy nice and neutral, uh, focusing on trying to actually adapt this thing that I made entirely as a comic into something that would work in an episode serial format. So mm -hmm. Can you briefly describe it just so people know what it's about? Yeah. So Sugarloaf is a story based off of a character that's named after my hair. My hair's name is Frankie. Um, and so my main character's name is Frankie and it's her and this imaginary giant buff elf 
kind of exploring this uh, made up world named Sugarloaf, which is uh, a mountain I grew up climbing a lot with my dad. And I just thought, how cool would it be if there's this magical world like stuck inside this giant mountain top? So that's that's a overview. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. So what was that the reason for creating that just because, you know, you were quarantined, you had nothing else to do? Yeah, I, I had some, uh, I, it kind of all came to a point because I was working on a lot of installation work just before COVID um, hit. And so I had actually, I'd been drawing this character for a while. It, it came together in such a weird way. I'd been drawing this character of myself for a long time as Frankie, just like doing whatever. And then randomly in like a professional practice course I was taking, um, with Aram Sifuentes, I, she gave us this thought experiment to like draw what our protector would look like, or like if you had an imaginary friend, like how would they look? And I drew Bo, the giant blue elf, and I was like, this is so cool. I love him. So I put, naturally, I put him and Frankie together. Um, and then on a separate note, I had done an installation in Grant Park uh, to make like the snack shack. So I made up this whole fantasy snack location completely unrelated and then I started thinking you know I don't know what could this look like what would a bigger story look like um and so I finally had the time to think about what a bigger story would look like and I did I put it together as a place to sort of disappear into and it it totally paid off it was very worth it was very worth cultivating yeah and I'm I'm massively interested in in this just idea of storytelling and world building because I'm obviously I'm not like totally trapped with quarantine as much anymore. However, this summer I plan on writing a book, not a comic book. I'm not the artist type, but I want to write a book and I'm very ambivalent just of the length of what I would have to create. And so I wonder, first question is kind of, was Sugarloaf the the largest project you'd ever built? And, totally. And, and okay. And the second part of that was, were there any kind of mental roadblocks that you had to overcome in terms of just like getting around the fact that it was the biggest project you've ever built? Yeah, totally. So actually, I just listened to a video you put up. I think it was yesterday about this this creative accountability group you're starting, and I thought like this is so right. Like that's exactly the right thing to do. And it was really cool listening to you say that because like everything you're saying is exactly the like drill sergeant in my head. Like that's what was being said. <laughs> that's what I was saying to myself. Um, but you know, world building is you got to like, you've got to meditate on it. You've got to be thinking about all the different aspects, um, make lists. And there were totally roadblocks. I, I sat myself up every morning and was like, all right, first things first, like, does is the sky blue is the ground green like what what are we doing and why are we doing it um but yeah it was the longest project I'd ever done the most consistent thing I'm very I hop from topic to topic a lot even when I'm making work which is why you know this was a big deal for me too because I I'd never done anything this disciplined for so long and and it it took a lot of effort and planning and calendar marking and just making myself stay on a schedule so that I actually kept doing it and didn't like flounder towards Mm -hmm. the middle. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, um, do you think if you hadn't gone to art school theoretically that you would have had the kind of like if the pandemic happened the same way and maybe you didn't go as deep into art and you were only doing it casually, would you have tried that project? Um, I think like I, in high school, I was very bad at deadlines. I was very bad at turning things in on time. And I just thought it was me. Like I thought I was just terrible at doing things and planning things. And I was just going to be doomed. And then I got to college and I actually cared about what my homework was. (laughs) And I actually liked doing what I was doing. And all of a sudden there was this super planner freak that came out and like, all of a sudden my things are on time and my ducks were in a row. Um, but I think that's probably the thing that art school gave me was confidence to care about something and do it with, you know, some gusto. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think if I hadn't gone to art school, I probably wouldn't have pursued it because I wouldn't think it's possible. I wouldn't have seen other people doing the same thing and turning out a product that they were proud of and um, not having to wait for a publisher to do it or waiting for some, you know, network to pick it up. Right. You just make it. Yeah. And I, I kind of see that pattern with you already of, you know, your dad was an artist and that kind of gave you the confidence to start making art of your own and going to art school, you saw people doing this stuff professionally and, and doing big projects. And that kind of gave you the confidence to do it. So this is, kind of slightly unrelated, but writer's block or creator's block or artist block, whatever term it goes by. Do you believe it? Like, do you think it's a myth or a real thing? And why? I think it's totally a real thing. Uh, Yeah. I mean, on top of all the drawing that had to go into Sugarloaf, I was also writing a ton. I had to write the general trajectory and then write their dialogue, which is a whole can of worms. Um, But it's totally a thing. I get I get creative block constantly. And I think it's actually really like damaging for artists to think that they should be these like inspiration machines constantly. Like a real artist always has an idea, you know, a real writer will never not know what to write. It's so funk. Like I think a lot of people would say that it's totally a real thing. And it, it doesn't mean you're not an artist if you're not constantly spewing things out either. Like you know, you're still an artist if you're sleeping, you're still an artist if you're having a bowl of cereal or something. And you're an artist when you're painting that bowl of cereal. Um, so it's totally a real thing. Totally. Yeah. My mindset is slightly, slightly different than that. And I think it's because this one guy, Seth Godin, kind of changed my mind about this. And he basically said, like, the origins of writer's block was some poet from way back when, like, 17th century, 18th century. And he wrote it, and then it kind of became popularized that writer's block is a thing. And before that, everyone would just kind of like, you know, oh, if I, I didn't create, then I would keep going until I do. And so my mindset has now shifted from, you know, okay, yes, if I don't feel like I have anything good to write, then I won't write. That was the old mindset. And I feel like my new mindset is I always have something to write, even if it's terrible, especially if it's terrible. And so it's like, it's not necessarily that an artist is out of ideas, but the the fact that they don't think they have good enough ideas to share. Yeah, no, that that's enough to skew me. I, I feel that a lot. I think uh, that's a really reasonable 
analysis because you know and then I'm like oh I'm I'm stumped you know and I'm stumped because I know whatever I put down is going to be like something weird like not my intention so I could I totally I agree with that yeah and now I kind of want to go back to hearing about you writing because you do have that blog and I, I was looking through that um that seems like unrelated to any projects you might have had so where did that desire to start the blog come from so yeah, two halves of Jada. There's, I like drawing, I like making all this stuff and that's my like internal, but I just, you know, being surrounded by so many talented artists, I was like, this is just rich. Like I'm, I'm loving it. And I love, I love like seeing my peers work. I love supporting them, trying to buy whatever I can buy whenever I can. Um, and I think the blog was a way for me to explore and like, get that out where I was like, I really want to know you know, I, I'm sitting in long critiques and I hear your personal background. I think that's just my, like, that's the privilege I have is to be able to hear about artists' work critically. And so I'm like, you know, what do you, like, eat? Like, what do you eat when you're, you know, like, I just wanted to know things about my friends and, like, what they were making. So I think that the blog is a way for me to explore that. And also, like, I just had all of this stuff on my mind, um, you know, things I knew that I'm like, nobody knows that I should probably write something about that. And there's still so much more I like, I want to get out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was just a way to sort of offload all of the information buildup. Mm -hmm. And you're also kind of referring to the interviews that you would do. Yeah, the interviews were more of like, uh, definitely getting out from my friends, like, okay, I know what your deeper thing is. But like, are we having like, are you a morning worker? Or are you a night worker? Like, are you, what are you, what's the studio snack? But yeah, the more like, the more um, just thoughts on creativity or like practices and habits and stuff was definitely just a way for me to talk about all of this, all of these, like this etiquette that I was getting in my time in school. And there's, there's so much stuff I haven't even been able to unpack, but hopefully it will get to. Yeah. And you did, I, you did have a lot of interviews with kind of those artists. Um, did you come to any conclusions? Were there any similarities between them that it was like, oh, this is an aha moment that everyone should know? Or was there like, everyone's so different? I think it was really definitely like, and everyone is so different. And I say this, like, I have like two things I think about with people, like people are weird, like folks are weird. And, and we're walking around all of these people and like these strangers that just have like these super odd habits, but everyone has their odd habit. And I also like to say people are just people. And I think that, you know, the more you reach out and the more you get to know about any individual, you just get a better understanding of just like the world that we're living in, the more people you get to talk to. Um, and I think it was cool because we're all working alongside each other and there's such different like takes on things and, you know, I, I definitely got the sense that we're all, we're all weird folk walking around in our own bubble. <laughs> mm -hmm. And kind of in that, that similar vein of like when you were interviewing people, did you change any of your habits? Like when you were asking you, these people questions about, you know, are you a morning person? Are you a night person? Were you also kind of asking yourself the same questions and seeing how your, your answers would compare? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think subconsciously. So actually the way I conducted it was kind of like, it was, you know, I'm looking at this person, they sent me information. We did it completely over email. So I actually didn't sit with anyone, surprisingly. Um, so this was just our banter 
via the the web. Uh, but yeah, I was totally crafting these questions based on things I just wanted to know. And I thought, okay, if I can't ask them like straight up, <laughs> this is what I can ask them. And like, they can, they can say no, if they don't want to answer it, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ask and see what happens. But um, yeah, some things like I was totally seeing like, I wonder what they're gonna say, because I know what I'd say. Hmm. And yeah. did, did you end up trying to change any specific habit of yours to be like, oh, they had a good idea for a certain habit? Did you have any of those moments? Not particularly. You know, I feel like I, I, I'm a pretty consistent, like, I, I, I think I stayed the same. I've learned things that make me engage with their work better, which is also kind of the goal was wanting to just get closer to what they were making. Um, but no, I, I pretty much stayed the pretty much stayed the same. Yeah. And since we're kind of talking about artists and art students, I kind of want to go back a little bit to your experience at art school, because, you know, I am currently at a big college and not really, they have art programs. I'm in the, the visual studies program, but it's tiny compared to the whole, uh, the whole class size. And so I want to hear kind of like right when you went into school, did it kind of blow you away? Like what are the things that stood out about art school? And I know you don't really have a, a regular college experience to compare it to, but maybe if you knew anyone else who like went to a different college, what were kind of the things that stuck out as like, this is important. I'm glad they do this at this school. Um, yeah, there's, let's see. Okay. So first off the fashion, I think like I would put so much thought into what I was wearing to like, not make a spectacle of myself <laughs> in high school and that was completely blown open and I loved it. I love seeing everybody get dressed. I know it's like, it's a weird detail, but I just, there's so much expression and the professors included were like the coolest people. Like, you know, they're teaching us, but they've also got their whole like, you know, practice or gig outside of when they're not teaching us. So that was amazing. And I think that it sort of cascades down into just like what the feeling is when you show up someplace. It's so like, we're getting right to our passions. We're getting right to, what it is we're making and what we're thinking about because no one's worried about like looking a certain kind, like they're looking a certain kind of way on purpose, but it's, there's so many ways to look. Um, and I think that totally brings the energy down to like, you know, whatever formalities there are, like everyone's super open to just jumping right into expecting anything like at any moment. Um, also the professors and the like deans and like everyone up and down the thing are super like, they're just super open to, wild ideas and just ready to have a conversation about anything um and I think that was a huge shock and I know that that's not always the pipeline for a lot of universities that you can just go up and be like hey like we should have like this kind of day where the entire lobby is covered in silly string and we just eat muffins and boba and that's what we do and then like that's what you can do um here there but yeah, fashion, sentiment. I think, you know, it was also really shocking to see um, how much, like how much the students, like my school felt super, super baked into Chicago, like as a city. Um, I think most majority of the events that we did or field trips we took were just initiatives that our, our professor's friend's cousin was like putting on and 
you know, everybody knows someone who's showing in, you know, at, you know, the uh, Modern Art Museum. So there's just like all of this. It's so connected that I honestly didn't feel like I was, I felt like way more injected into the real world more than I probably would have at like a larger university. Um, or really just any, you know, not even every art school has the same sort of thing, but I really think SCIC like had, I was like, okay, I'm like half foot in, half foot out because so much of what I do is connected to what's going on already to the public. Um, so that was cool. I think it helped me not feel so scared graduating. <laughs> yeah. So you already kind of, there was a lot of real world experiences kind of integrated to your, your college life. Mm-hmm, totally. Our, our like, they, it's so corny, but they would be like, oh, you know, our, our football games are visiting artist lectures. And like, eh, it's kind of true because we'd have like, well, I wish we had football games, but we also had these where the public would be invited to have, um, to come in and listen to whoever the visiting artist was. And there were usually very big names um, that were coming in. I'm like, seriously, of all the things I went to, I can't think of one, but there were, there were so many like people that you'd not get a chance to listen to um, talking and like, it was open to the city of Chicago, um, but that's where we would go during class or it's where we go after class to listen. And it was chock full every time, but very connected, very real world. Yeah. Yeah. And I also wonder, cause this is something I've always been curious about with art school and like, cause I think of it through the lens of like film school of like, I could have gone to film school, but when I think of film school, but it can translate to art school, I always think of like very avant-garde kind of weird abstract. And then I see like your work. That's like, I can look at it and understand what I'm seeing and being like, this is a person I I can see. And it's not like the so like abstract thing that's so deep and kind of you talked about this earlier, like, you know, you can enjoy that, that very deep, meaningful work, but sometimes like it, not every piece has to be like that. So were the students like at art school, was it a lot of those, you know, I'm going to, you know, make splatter paint and it's going to be so deep or was it kind of like a mix between like, Oh, this is like graphic design. You can understand this. I made a logo. I made a cartoon. Was there a good mix of that? Yeah, there was a huge, I mean, there's a huge mix. Our preferred word is conceptual, high concept, uh, you know, artwork. And that can look any kind of way, but I mean, and that's a part of also what I loved and what made me want to interview these people is because there's so many different kinds of work being made. And I think that's another selling point that SAC goes with is because it's such, you know, you don't have a track, so you can just go in and like, you build your schedule. If you want to be doing logos in the afternoon, you can do that and then blow glass, you know, in the morning. Um, and that's what people do. They're putting logos into, you know, glass sculptures and you can do that. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of friends that are doing work with super, super big corporations doing like very straightforward graphic design and that's, and they can do that. Um, I have friends that, you know, have done fashion week and have been in Vogue. I have friends that have, um, book deals, you know, like all sorts of different things. So it goes, it goes, uh, far. Um, and there's just so many different kinds of work. It's not all high concept and people, people, you know, there's, there's that we talk about it. We're like, you know, there's people that tend to 
enjoy the really high concept work and there's people that tend to enjoy just super corporate work um and it's all represented i think yeah yeah and i this is a kind of a shifting a little bit i like to do like a second half thing where we kind of talk about concepts rather than you know your your experience but do you have any advice for people who might think they're not creative but maybe and kind of to add to that maybe they want to be like they're like ah oh, you know i wish i could paint but i'm not a artist i wish i could write but i'm not a writer do you have any advice for those types of people hey guys i've really fallen in love with the medium of podcasting and i finally feel comfortable to where i want to ask for your support so in the description and in all of the descriptions following this episode i'm going to start putting a link for a spot for you to donate a small monthly amount of either a buck, five bucks, or ten bucks a month. Now this money is going to help the podcast grow. It's going to show me that this is worth my time. And because this is for creators, by a creator, I would hope that you can see that I'm doing this so I can sustain the act of creating. So if you really like this podcast, if you want to support the show, go down in the description click the link to chip in a small amount to support the show. Thanks. Yeah. I think just if you're doing it, you're doing it. Like, you know, if you want to draw, just draw something like it, the world won't stop. If you know, your fingers don't look like fingers, like that's where something happens. I feel like the stuff happens in the places where you're overcoming like those, those hiccups or what you feel like is a lack of talent. Like, what you feel like is, oh, I don't know how to do this is where you get style. It's where you get like your personality coming through. And that's just even in writing. Like I'm not a writer, like I wasn't a writer, but now I am, you know, because I just did it. Um, so just do it, try stuff out. If it looks weird, like keep doing it and just see what's going on. If, if you're into building a technical skill, pursue building technical skill, but then like let yourself just like, you know, if you're doing it, you're doing it. You're not, nobody's not, you're a painter if you put some paint on something. If yeah. you pick up some paint and you put the paint on there, you're a painter. Yeah. And kind of in that, in that same light, when it came to teachers teaching you, like let's say it was a, a painting class or a, you know, graphic design class, were they kind of teaching you the skill set more or was it also about kind of, I don't know, because I, I, I don't think creativity can be taught so easily. So I guess my question is, how would they push you to, you know, go to the bounds of your creative limits? Yeah, I think, I feel like in at least most of the courses I was taking, there was a good amount of like, here's how you do this thing. Like I was taking a screen printing class with Brian Rush, who's one of my favorite professors. Um, and, you know, he's straight up like, this is how you do screen printing. This is how you prep the screen. This is how you pull the ink. And this is, you know, that's what it does. Um, but then, and also shout out to Brian, because I was such a like, so stubborn, you know, I'm like, this is the kind of print work that I want to do. And I'm doing this because this is what I want to do. And he's like, you know, alternatively, you could try this thing. Like you've never done it before. I know you can do it. So you should try it. And I'm like, nah, and then I end up just having to try it and <laughs> realize I love it. Um, so I think that's like, that's an example of someone pushing you to 
you know, just stretch a little. And if you don't like it, so be it. You've got to try stuff. Um, and I think that they teach us the technical and then encourage us through critique and just processed conversations to, if they see something, it was very personal. If they see something in your work that's happening over and over again, you know, they'll drop hints like, you should try this other thing and just see what that might do. It's a lot of just try this out and see what that does. And then it either does work or it doesn't. Um, and I think even like, maybe less so in the graphic design like departments because you know but but I won't even say that either because they were still sort of pushing a like here's the standard but you can't break the rules until you know what the rules are and can execute them so there was a lot of a lot of room for like just try stuff out and then you'll find where your creativity really like shines yeah yeah I really like that you can't break your you can't break the rules until you know what the rules are mm-hmm you can have uh, more fun that way. Yeah. So, Jada, you're about to graduate uh, and go off into the, the big, scary, real world. <laughs> Do you have any kind of short-term goals within the next year and long-term goals within the next three to five years? Yeah, you- I think uh, short-term goals would be definitely – expanding my like website and web presence I think I've had a lot of moving parts and I'm I'm proud of myself for what I've been able to establish you liked it so that's something um and I think I'm excited to see what now that I have this time how much more I can pour into it um so just really expanding on the blog expanding on the store I'd like to have a larger like art object store Um, And I'm just also interested in figuring out how to cultivate that other half of me that wants to know more about artists and wants to help artists. I I think, I think back to how many people along the way have helped me get to this point and feel inspired and confident and knowing what to do and where to go to do what I want to do. And that's like so valuable to me. Like I love making the art, but having a community of people or knowing where to go with your your desire to create is is the difference between someone deciding to go to art school and someone throwing it all away because I think there's nothing there for them. So I'm just trying to find any way to get involved that way um, to just help people come into whatever their purpose is. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to teach. I got lots of, lots of things I'd love to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you're definitely doing that with, you know, what you have on your website with the blog of, because I think we have similar mindsets when it comes to creativity of just like the philosophy of, you know, if you're painting, you're a painter. If you if you don't think you're you're good enough, you can still do it and get better. Um, and like anyone can be creative, that kind of mentality. And so I think, you know, I really like what you're doing with the blog, obviously, because I think it's so similar to kind of my mindset. But in terms of like, I guess in terms of, and I hate to use this word because I feel like it can stir up some weird stuff, but like monetization, money, paying the bills. What is your mindset about that based on kind of the skills you've learned going out into the real world? Mm-hmm. Keep it loose. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I could say. And I I mean, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I've had several meltdowns, you know, like along the way, especially with COVID where I'm like, oh God, like what have I done? But I'm like, wait, no, like, you know, I chose this path knowing very good and well that like the structure is 
is there if you work at it. Like, it's not one of those things where you can just go out and like, hello, sir, yes, I'd like to, you know, work here as an artist, thank you. And like, that's that's the end of it. But um, yeah, the money part is a huge deal. I think uh, be okay with it being a little dicey, like, you know, that your full income might not start out being from art. And sometimes it does, like, it's a completely volatile community and that's what makes it exciting. But, you know, I, I had a couple moments where I was like, okay, I am a kind of person that is going to be fine doing a job that does not involve me making anything. Like my work is not me making anything and I'll use all my money and time to just make what I want to make in the, in my downtime. And I'm also had moments where I'm like, I just want to be making something for pay a hundred percent. But I think I'm def- I'm, I'm more in the first half where I'm just like, I'd like to be working creatively. And that doesn't always have to mean like your practice. And I think being open to that, is where you start to find the opportunities. Most people doing really well in the creative industry are like, their story is so like, oh yeah, I just did this and that had nothing to do with what I started doing. And now I'm completely happy doing this very random thing. (laughs) That that is what I do for forever now. Um, But I think just being open to like it being wacky Mm -hmm. and just making money however makes sense. Yeah, and I was gonna say, I think the other side of it is being open to, you know, like you have so many creative skill sets, being open to trying to make money from all these different routes, whether it's, you know, doing art for someone who needs something commissioned or, you know, writing something or, you know, building up this, this brand as you're doing and having, you know, selling comic books, which would be an awesome way to, to make a living. Yeah, it comes together. It does. And I think you just have to be open to, you know, multiple streams, multiple streams of income and just working out what makes you happy. I think right now it's like commissions on one hand, book sales on another hand. There's, you know, you know, I'm working with my, I'm still working with my school right now to be, I'm doing a lot of like, uh, I'm in student government. So we've, we've just sort of passed the baton now to the next batch of people, but that was fantastic, you know, and I realized all of these other skills I had to just be able to help people and get engaged in a different way. And that's another way you can make money. You know, you can sell your services, tutor, you know, run a class, like, and, and it, it's kind of endless. And I think the more you realize that it's up, like you started this because you want to be self-started and it's scary to get self-started, but when you realize it's really whatever you want to do, it gets super you know, it's sky's the limit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you hear the words imagination and creativity, how do you define them? How do you differentiate them? I think imagination is something everybody has. I think to be imaginative can go far beyond just like drawing something from your mind. I think imagination is just that state of thinking, free thinking, and just going, 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 and thinking up something that might not exist, and that everybody has that. Um, And I think creativity is just putting that to use, like putting your imagination someplace and and cultivating your imagination by creating something out of it. So you've got the thought, and then you've got like the thing. And I think creativity is a lot to do with how you execute that thought. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going from zero to one. 
Yeah. And I think, um, cause I just wrote like a little tiny blog about this of like hazy ideas where, you know, everyone has the strategy to end world hunger and the next thing that will get you rich. And it's all kind of floating around and they're very hazy. And most people have no intention of acting on those things because they know if they did, they'd realize there wasn't really anything there. And so I think as the, the creator, it's kind of accepting that 99% of ideas are going to fizzle out within the first sentence of you writing um, and kind of realizing that that's part of it is if you're not putting pen to paper, if you're not putting paintbrush to canvas, then you really don't have anything. Um, yeah. Do you kind of agree with that sentiment? Yeah. I do. I think like you got to get creative. Like creativity is a, is a doing thing. Um, and you've got to do it. Like you've just got to try stuff out. I think that's a lot of parts where people struggle too, of feeling like they're not a creative person because it's the problem solving aspect of it where it's like, yeah, I have this idea, but I don't know how to like do any of it. And that's the thing you have to work at. That's where being an artist or being a creator is an, an active duty where you're like, you have to put something out into it to get something out of it. Um, and I think people just think artists just pop this stuff out like it's nothing. <laughs> and sometimes, but you know, where they're popping something out or it looks easy one way, there's a ton of thought and prep yeah. somewhere else. Um, it's always coming from somewhere else. So, And do you think, because um, right now I, on social media and I think of Instagram specifically, you know, I follow so many artists and it's like every day they're producing this magnificent work I mean there's no other way around it do you kind of experience any creators envy when you're like oh my gosh how are they keeping up with this workload it do you experience any envy in that kind of sense of it of like they're so much better than me they're so far ahead of me and how do you deal with it I definitely used to I, I used to have a lot of that feeling where I'm like okay I must be not like, I must not be like disciplined enough because there's no way, like if I were actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I would have as much content as that person. But it's like, I think as I've gotten older and I've gotten to talk with more artists and seeing how it all sort of works in the back end, doing some of it myself, it's, it's so smoke and mirrors. And some people work day in, day out. For a lot of people, it's just how you organize your time. So I feel like, you know, the way that I get over that is I don't, I try to not scroll so much unless I absolutely have to, um, or I'm just, I'm actually in downtime, but I think avoid the, the scroll uh, and remember that, you know, it's just, you're seeing a very, you're seeing one side of it. You're seeing a very, you know, curated side of someone's time and life and energy and remembering that everybody's coming from a different starting point. Um, how long someone's been doing something or what else they're involved in outside of their Instagram profile has a huge impact on, you know, community. Um, I think even with Instagram, there's some people that are famous for things that are not on, like people, people still get work outside of Instagram. And I think that's hard to remember. <laughs> like you see someone and you're like, okay, hundred K, like they must be really good at Instagram, but it's like they've actually been working in like an in industry for a very long time. And you are now seeing them at one sort of like point of their journey. And there's some people that within a month of being on the internet also have hundred K and you're like, how are they doing this? And it's, it's completely volatile and they're all options. And you just kind of keep in mind that you're seeing a, a small snippet. 
Yeah. And I think of the the NFT artist that's kind of been the trend that's blowing up. <laughs> and like a episode I did a couple back was like I kind of talked about it very for just a tiny bit. And it was just like they just set up their like Instagram profile like a couple months ago and they're just churning out these non-fungible tokens that aren't really that great. They just like did some digital thing and now they're selling them for like, you know, the equivalent of a thousand dollars or six thousand or ten thousand dollars. And it's like that kind of stuff can be a little demoralizing. It's like maybe I should just give up what I'm doing now, learn how to be an NFT artist and copy what's working. And yeah. I think that's kind of the the mindset of like an envious thinker because I have had that thought. I'm not going to be like, oh, no, I'm above that. But I think it's kind of like when you have that that thought and you're willing to give up what you've been working at, mm-hmm. it's going to like, okay, maybe you kind of need to reflect on what actually matters. Is it like are you chasing the money or are you doing this for a reason beyond just monetary gain? Yeah. I You know, I have my thoughts about NFTs. I do. Um and let's, I think, let's hear them. <laughs> I think that the phenomenon with NFTs is, you know, environmentally pretty atrocious. You know, uh, I think my biggest issue with it is what it does to the creative mind. Seriously, like I think, I mean, there's a ton of reasons that people have their feelings about it, but I think the one that particularly pisses me off is how it does exactly what you just described. It makes you want to drop everything. Um, and, and there's a lot of ways this works. I think Instagram does it on a soft scale, but I think what we saw was a huge explosion of a very direct pipeline to money. And I think when you start to include money so strongly and then the art gets lost and it becomes like, it, it, it stretches creatives out in a way that just is so sad to see. And I see people get knotted up about like, you know, I, I'm doing, I need to like do this now. Like there's this trend going on and there's so much money to be made. So I've got to jump in and just ditch everything I've been doing. Um, and that's sad because you've been working at something that makes you happy. And, and that's the allure of money. I don't even think like, can you blame folks like for wanting to, to do something that they can live off of? Um, and there's such huge sums of money. It's like, it feels like it's nothing. Um, but it really damages the creative mind. And I think people have been trying to remedy that same effect on a small long exposure format with Instagram where you're seeing like like I said one side of a thing um and then you just you're getting this one version of it and you think you're doing something wrong and so you start tailing yourself and then you get like the Instagram look and you get this look but you know NFTs just kind of ramp that up in like three days time like (laughs) you know the internet was exploding um because that same phenomenon which we hardly handle on social media in general was just amplified by big real money. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, okay. So Jada, we're kind of getting near, near the end of this podcast. And I always like to end on the, the same question. So I want to know what at this moment are you intensely curious about? In the world in general, it can be about, anything but it just like at this stage in your life i am curious Hmm. i think i'm curious about empathy i think i've been thinking about empathy a lot and i'm interested in and curious about how creatives can continue to explore empathy um and just being there 
and really leveling with each other and, you know, growing that community in a way that works for us. That's a great answer. Um, okay. So I want to kind of be sure to link all your, your website, your Instagram. If you guys, I really think you guys should check out the listeners should check out sugar loaf. Uh, I mean, it seems like a crazy, crazy comic, 18 and up. <laughs> I saw that on the website. Um, and so, yeah, was there anything else that you kind of wanted to shout out besides the website, besides Instagram? Uh, just keep keep making stuff. That's all I got. Keep making stuff. And, you know, there's something out there for everybody. Yeah. All right, Jada. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.